Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Kia ora and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod once again. The Chiefs, they're looking hot. Their hottest winning streak ever to start a season and we've got lots to talk about with them and the Blues and how the Blues, well they possibly threw that one away and again because they'd done it the week before as well. We'll talk a bit about Bowden Barrett, we'll talk about this Wallaby squad that's just come out as well. So there's plenty to talk about, a bit of Damien McKenzie, touch on Brad Webber's philanthropic endeavours as well and all of the other games throughout Super Rugby Pacific. Welcoming in, as ever, James Parsons. G'day my old mate. How are you feeling? Ah, well, I think you're right. It was um, similar to the Crusaders, wasn't it? I know we'll get in more detail, but uh, the game was there. It yep. just wasn't taken, unfortunately. Just sucked the energy out of the room. <laughs> just like that. And over in Japan, Bryn Hall comes to us with a huge smile on his face. <laughs> because we know that Jipper wanted to pick that. He saw it coming, actually, didn't he? He did. But to his, to his credit, I would have done the exact same way. I would have done the exact same thing if it was uh, the Crusaders and the other foot. So, now nah, feel for your, me, old mate. But we'll, we'll go into that detail right now. But firstly, I just want to congratulate my old man. Uh, it's his birthday today. So, Dad, happy birthday from um, all the way from Japan. Very good. You've sent him a present? Uh, no, I'll leave that to my brother and my mother, fortunately. A phone call was, was good enough for me. So, <laughs> and obviously... Oh, you're <laughs> senior old man in prison. My God. <laughs> oh, well. Shout out is not going to cut it. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's on national television. Yeah. Even if it's to, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people around the world that watch this program on a weekly yeah. basis. In you got still can't shout him a bloody <laughs> prison. My God. Oh, well. Uh, prison's enough for the Chiefs was getting it one over the Blues. Obviously, it was... A difficult game for the Blues, considering the fact that they could have well and truly had that in the bag. As a captain, as a former Blues captain, the shots at goal thing, Taylor mentioned it in the commentary, they had their chances to accumulate, and they chose to accumulate, and they chose not to accumulate. It was just a little bit mixed there, and I think Dalton admitted that after the game. Yeah, well, it's a hard one because there would have been discussions throughout the game. Not, It's not just on Dalton. There would have been other leaders, you know, in terms of even maybe the kickers weren't feeling it. Conditions were pretty um, rough. I, I'm not sure. But I think the best example or a team that gets it right, you know, nine times out of ten is Ireland. And they've got a theory pretty much for the first half. They are going to the corner and they are going to run the tank dry. And then they may accumulate in that second half to, to put sides away or they just keep going if they're feeling it. And I, I think 
you know, I was probably, as a captain when I played, I was more of an accumulator. But the game's changed now, and I think if you, if you, if you don't try and um, go in sevens, uh, you, you leave yourself short, you know, more often than not. Um, but in the tight conditions, wet conditions, maybe there was opportunities to, to take some scoreboard pressure. But there was a couple of times when I think uh, we took the three that I was, you know, on the couch thinking maybe I'll, you know, go for the corner and keep the pressure on as well because they had shown some, especially the Blues had shown some success early, um, you know, with Riccatelli's try. So um, it's always a hard one. It's always a hard one. It's always easier once the game's over to think that because if they'd scored, he would have. Everyone would have been congratulating them. So. Brent, it wasn't like the Blues having trouble getting down into the Chiefs' twenty-two. No, it wasn't. Look, I think you know probably unfortunate that just the turnovers and not being able to um, score those points were in that area. I think look, they had thirty-one positions start inside the twenty-two to the Chiefs' thirteen, so they had ample opportunities to be able to try and score points in, in that in that scenario. But I think unfortunately, you know, you look at last year for the Blues. With their winning streak that they had, they were winning games like that and being able to execute in crucial moments. And you know, it's it's a funny thing. A year later, um, they put have had a couple of games where they probably should have won just due to, I guess, the total turnovers. You know, they had 15, which isn't which isn't very good, and probably led into the reason of why they weren't able to score points. So, I think we said a couple of weeks ago they had their chances to win it, but unfortunately, um, they weren't able to get it done. But in saying that, you've got to credit the Chiefs' defense. You know, operating at 91%, they made double more tackles than. Um, the Blues and I guess Clayton McMillan talked about it a lot around their resilience and being able to show a lot of fight in there and the defensive um, efforts because I think, um, you know, I look at my time with the Crusaders and being successful, Jip has talked around it as well. Um, defense wins championships and when you can win like that, they've showed a lot of ways to be able to win in this competition. Out in front early, being able to grind wins, not play well and still get the job done. So it just shows where they are at their moment and um, they're building a lot of belief um, in, in Hamilton for sure. What was the policy while you were at the Crusaders with accumulation versus going to the corner? I know Kieran Reid was a big fan of going to the corner. Um, I think it's just a feel thing. I think sometimes, you know, people when watching um, don't get a real good feel of what the conditions are like or the kind of feeling and the momentum of how games are going. So, you know, I look at probably Sam was my captain and um, when I was there, he was massive around being able to build pressure with seven points. Um, and being able to really put teams under the pressure, under the the, um, the pressure valve, because even if you don't score, but you're able to build pressure within five minutes of being down in that half, it catches up at the back end of the game and being able to score points when they're tied. But then saying that, it's having a good balance around, you might not have had a lot of momentum for 10 minutes and three points might actually be good to get away with having those points and just being able to accumulate points that way. So there are a lot of different ways to do it, but um, yeah, again, hindsight's a great thing and you know I think if the, the the Blues were able to score points they had a lot of opportunities to be able to get the job done but unfortunately the execution just wasn't on wasn't I, on on the weekend I think that's the key is I don't think not taking the penalties is the reason they lost that game like the, similar to that Crusaders game they had 10 entries into the 22 and only came away with you know 13 points of the game whereas the Chiefs have this knack of man when they get an opportunity they are taking points every time so and I mean they did it in the first 30 seconds um, but that ruthless execution um, to take the points when they're off is probably what's separating Chiefs and the rest of the comp, um, to be honest, and their, their defensive efforts. Because, um, they, you know, they were made to make a lot of tackles. But I think, you know, and I know Leon is, is massive on when you get in that red zone. I think I even said it last week after, is, you know, you want to be getting eight, Eight times out of ten, you're coming away with points, and it's more often the other way um, at the moment. You know, I think the one thing they can be positive about the Blues is they are putting themselves in position to win games. It's just that last um, sort of execution part, and that'll come. 
I, I think you know Leon sort of spoke about after the game is maybe that they, they, they get down there and try a little bit too hard uh, because you know they can probably sense that pressure themselves that they you know haven't been as clinical as last season but I, I think you know it's not all doom and gloom uh, for the Blues and when these passes start sticking, um, you know, they'll be able to put sides away because statistically they're putting themselves in position mo the most in the competition uh, to come away with points. I suppose the big worry is that it's the big name players who are the ones who are not finishing a lot of the time. The people who you pay to be the people who deliver under pressure. Oh, you know, there's some people out there who love to go watch a few battlers too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, look, oh, I... Yes and no. I, I just don't think that you can ever single out. You know, if the, I think there's one glaringly obvious one, obviously, <laughs> that you can say that you know, obviously you can put the ball down before you're going out. But other than that, you know, I don't think it's individuals that do it. You know, like ten times in a row, or we've seen one individual. You know, like I can think. You know, obviously Tucker against the Crusaders, Hoskins to Tudu. Um, you know, but they you haven't heard those players' names again in, in coming weeks. So yes. Uh, but the, the thing is, with winning a Super Rugby competition, there's there's a lot of big names, you know, in the teams that are at the top or the pointy end. So uh, I think you know you could sort of statistics will show it's more often than not will be a big name because of the squads they've got. Yeah, that, that Bowden Barrett is what we're referring to. The uh, the unfortunate Bowden Barrett put down, which you know. He put his foot in, in, in goal. We've seen, I think, from Christian Cullen back in the day, we saw it once, where he just dropped the ball out of nowhere. I think we've, we've seen Bryn Hall um, pull off something just as spectacular. Cale Dobby sent us an email, and his question in the email was regarding Bowden Barrett. He's playing himself out of the World Cup, according to Cale Dobby, by exposing his flaws week in, week out. Is that a fair thing to say? Oh, I think he, he would probably say himself that he's not in vintage form, um, but... 114 tests, so I think he's going to have to do a lot more wrong to play himself out of a World Cup squad. We know how you know, good he is, but I think I think that competition's good. Like Damien McKen McKenzie is staking his claim. That, you know, like everyone's sort of talking, is it Stephen Pettafetta or Damien McKenzie in that sort of 10-15 role? Well, you know, the way he's playing, he's, he, he'd be talking, you know, opportunities to be wearing the 10 and the All Blacks. So, I, I, well, I know Bodie will come right. Um, but, you know, he, he will, he, the amount of work he puts in during the week, the hard work will pay off eventually. And I, I always think it's always hard on individuals, uh, you know, there were, you know, some individual errors, but it is a team sport and, it, you know, you have to have a high-functioning set-piece, you have to have a high-functioning breakdown. It is always going to be a challenge against teams like the Chiefs. Mm. And the Blues did have high-functioning in the most part, which would suggest that Bowden Barrett did most of the things right outside of a couple of glaring mistakes. Yeah, 100%. And, there, you know, there were obviously other players around that made mistakes, but people only... Because Bowden is Bowden, mm. people see and remember that. And whereas other players aren't as big names that potentially had higher error rates if you go through the team statistically. Yeah. I'm keen to understand from you, Bryn, when we look at the number 10s at the moment, and obviously we're seeing the Chiefs unbeaten, we've seen Damien McKenzie looking really, really strong, and we're seeing probably Richie and Bowden not quite at 100%. Is there a definite possibility that we could see DMAC jump both of them and be the starting 10 at the World Cup, or do you feel like it's unlikely? Well, I think it's pretty tough. I think, um, yeah, they're pretty low in and around 
you know, having the, to, the two tens, and I think Damien coming back, and which is fair enough, I think he's the form 10 and he's probably shown the best consistency with the Chiefs and he's probably one of the reasons why they've gone undefeated. But I think, look, you've got two quality that 10s that probably, um, you know, probably aren't where they want to be, but, you know, it's a long it's a long competition. You've got to look at around the longevity of what it's going to look like in the finals and even that's where we want them peaking. And so I guess for Damien, um, it's been ready to, to be able to, Get himself in that conversation to be able to start at 10, possibly like you're saying, Ross, or getting in the conversation to be that third 10, because I think the 10 role has to, has to be able to cover 15. And all, all Damien can do is consistently play well at 10. And when he does get put to 15, when Bruno or Joshua only come on um, and be able to stake his claim that way. But um, yeah, I think, I believe Jip, I think Richie and, and Bodie will come good. But then I think, you know, the more that Damien can play well, if there are injuries we have seen in previous World Cups, Stephen Doddle, not too long ago, that you are going to need that depth, depth if there are injuries. And you know, Damien's playing at a great level at the moment, so hopefully continue continue that for the rest of the year. The one thing I love about like big time players like Bowden Barrett and Richie Moonga, and I suppose if we use Carter and McCaw leading into the 2015 World Cup, is when the pressure goes on these individuals, they front up and and they will nine times out of ten be bring their very best um, out of themselves. So I'm excited to start starting to see that transition into their into their world class stuff because. They won't be going away without a fight. Mm. Damien McKenzie, I suppose, is an option on the bench, is a very, very strong one, whether it's at 23 or 22. How do you feel they might use him? Uh, I think he's probably gunning for 22 yeah. and being that genuine 10, 15. Um, but, you know, in terms of his versatility, he can play wing. He, he could definitely be a right winger. You know, I don't think there's a hell of a lot of difference between 15 and that right wing spot. He's got enough pace. He's got, you know, he's got um, great aerial skills. And um, so he fits into both. Um, it'll just be, you know, maybe they want that 23 spot to cover a midfield. Mm. You, you do need that midfield cover. Um, so, uh, but then, you know, if there's a Leicester starting, so it, it really depends on who else is in form and how, what way they're going to go to see that balance because we could come up with a number of different versions depending on who actually starts the game and how, how they need cover, what cover they need. Mm. But you wouldn't think you necessarily need that much wing cover when you've got Rico at 13 and also, you know, chance are you can have Geordie at 12 and both of them have been successful wingers at international level. Yeah, it is, and I think you know it all depends around what they do with Bowden as well. Do they want to play him out as an out now ten, or having him at that fullback role? If he's at fullback, then there's probably no need to have um, Damien in that 10-15 cover with um, with Bowden being able to cover ten. But again, yeah, I just think there's so many um, ways of that 23 role. How they're going to do it? You know, if, if Bowden isn't selected, then he's got on the bench. Then you know, then is it a conversation between Damien and Bowden Barrett because they both cover that 10-15 role on the bench? So. There is a lot of uh, flexibility around that, but um, I think it just it just all depends where they see that mix. So they see Bowden as a 15 or or just an out-and-out 10 going with Richie, probably then opening up for Damien to have that kind of 10 and 15 rule cover if that's selection. Uh, Sam Kane. Now, apart from taking a shot to the ghoulies, um, he <laughs> had a... <laughs> didn't look nice. Oh. He had a big, big game in that game. Yeah. Oh, he's had a big season. Mm. Um, you know, statistically, he's always in the one top one or two um, defensively. Um, he's getting good reward at the breakdown. It's not always leading to turnovers or penalties, but it is, we've spoken about, because he's so hard to move, he, you always have to commit two or three bodies um, to get rid of him, which obviously shortens the, the attacking structures of, of the opposition. Um, you know, he still gets through his work and the tough carries um, and, and his breakdown. Uh, he's, he's super quick in terms of winning that race for their attacking ball and, and 
um, winning that collision, the breakdown. So he, he's going you know, really well. Not saying a hell of a lot, and he just almost looks like he's lined up this season. He just wants to make statements with his actions. As a leader, you know, we heard Brad Weber say afterwards what that kind of approach means to the rest of his team, Bryn. It, it's it's a hell of a statement to make. Oh, it is. And look, he's, he's, that's his kind of style, isn't it? I think um, you've seen around, I guess, the things that I've alluded to around the physicality of the breakdown in the Northern Hemisphere. I think he's been able to be show real... Um, direction of where we probably need our loose forwards to be able to come that time of the year because um, you know he's, he's first or second to those rucks and his efficiency at the ruck at the moment, ruck time, both defensively and on attack, um, has been really good. So um, you hopefully the Gilders aren't aren't too aren't too um, pumped up and too too sore, and uh, hopefully we can see him uh, moving forward because he's been in great form and probably um, you know there's been a lot of hype around Dalton, which is fair enough, probably the last year, but he's he started his campaign very well with that number seven jersey and um, hopefully come in with the All Blacks. His mate uh, Brody Retallick's hitting red hot form too. Um, yeah, he's a big mm. part of um, laying this platform to allow Mackenzie and Coda and, and you know Sean Stevenson um, to do their thing. Like you know, some of the his numbers of the amount of work he gets through is back to the good old days when he was sort of you know paved in the way of you know the start of his international career, which I think's you know exciting because you know everyone was sort of hard on him last season, mm. um, well, ever since he's come back from Japan, but he's he's another one that's making a huge statement and, um, you know, it's exciting for where that, you know, All Black squad can be when, when he's performing like that and obviously Sam Whitelock out with his thumb, but uh, we know those two together are very successful in terms of the win-loss column in the black jersey. Well, what numbers are you looking to from Brody when you're seeing him play? It's there? his breakdowns. Like, the amount of breakdowns he hits is just, you know, if you look at another lock, say that, you know, that lock hits, you know, 18 or 19, which is still a, a good amount of attacking breakdowns, he's in the 30s. You know, 32, 33 times he is in the first three from the Chiefs clearing that breakdown. Um, and what I like about it is... Yeah, he still has relatively high um, carries, so he plays roles else, elsewhere, but it's his selfless nature and the way, if you watch him work off the ball, sometimes he's passing teammates to clean another breakdown, another breakdown, so it's all those sort of unseen efforts that you know the coaches will pick up and as makes him why everyone in the team loves him is because he does things that you know probably don't get celebrated you know, on, you know, in terms of publicity because it's you have to watch it and you have to know what you're looking at to see it but um, he, he sort of changed the game in that locking sense with the Chiefs well, I think when they won it to back to back to 12 13 yeah, yeah. and from there it was almost like an expectation of type 5 players to you know reach his levels of those attacking breakdowns and he's second to none defensive breakdowns as well he gets a number of turnovers and for a big man it's actually really hard to get that low and not be able to get blown out because you've got so much of a target area to get rid of. Um, but, you know, he's so strong and, and he's, he's got that size back. He, he's sort of an immovable object. He's obviously got a fairly solid technique then. Yeah, he does, but he's just... He, he's he, he It's a solid technique, but it's also... He doesn't muck around trying to just win the penalty. He, he get, tries to get the ball up and, and, and going. And I think once refs see that, he normally ends up with a penalty or... Um, you know, he gets the ball. Mm. But I suppose the hard part about that is accuracy, right? Like, you can hit a million breakdowns, but you don't really see Brody Retallick get penalised hitting breakdowns that often. You get him penalised for other things, <laughs> but not necessarily for his breakdown hits. No, Brody Retallick gets your shoulder in there. He, uh, he makes sure when he's got your hands on you, he doesn't let you go, and it um, usually puts your head in the ground, which is, um, which is pretty not, what, not, not nice for a halfback. But look, it does it, he does it very, very well. 
Um, and I guess it adds to the kind of niggliness when you do play Brady Retallick, you're like, geez, I've got to be on the job here or else um, it's either going to be a bit sore or you're not going to be able to get to the ball quick enough as a halfback. So, no, nah, he's um, he's a great player and he's playing really well for the Chiefs at the moment, obviously. You mentioned Takiaho. I, I thought he needed to pin his ears back for the corner for that try. <laughs> I, I thought he was there. He, he was, and then the old he just slipped. It was... Yeah. Um, I thought he was there. And I don't think uh, it would have been an easy stop, even if... A Blues defender did get across because <laughs> he was he was fair humming. You got the feeling that he, you know, he's obviously got a huge amount of confidence when he runs directly at a bloke in the line. Yeah, he almost, but suddenly he's in the open. He's like, oh, what am I doing here? Like he did, he did hit the afterburners though. He, he got away. <laughs> As a covering tackler, you just lick in your lips that he's just fell over. You just oh, like think yeah. or think. Oh, you But just off there, the hell of a finish from Narawa though. Man, he's in um, some great form. He played um, tremendously well, obviously, with a lot of wingers playing very well in that um, those, in the competition. So he, he's continuing his form, maybe at a All Black jersey and Rugby Championship and World Cup, possibly. Yeah, totally. Goldie was talking about, you know, the amount of limbs that he had to control as he was diving into the corner. I think I think he did he catch the ball midair and put the ball down midair. Like, what an incredible thing to do while two defenders are on you. Two big defenders, like one was Caleb Clark <laughs> trying to like get you out the sideline. So. I, I, it was amazing, but I think he's just simplified his game and he probably wasn't even worried about them. He just knew he had to take care of himself and that's exactly what he did. But I thought, when I first thought, you're going to do well not to be out here. And mm. no, it, was, it was a hell of a start. When they got rid of Lowe, I was wondering what they were doing on the right wing of the Chiefs because uh, he had been relatively impressive, you know, oh. but obviously they knew what they were doing. Clearly. Clearly, but I mean, you got to you got to remember, um, Amoni was with the Blues for three or four seasons, so he's he, he's had a lot of time in a professional environment, and you, I think you're starting to see, uh, and that Bay of Plenty side's gone really well. He's moved moved there in the NPC, and you're just starting to see um, that experience pay off. But also, I think um, having his baby girl, he's mentioned a number of times, has made him mature a hell of a lot and, and changed his lifestyle. So it's it's even you know aspects of that. Where what's happening away from rugby um, is, is you know sort of sharpening his focus with his rugby as well. It's an interesting conversation that obviously you come through academies and you come through schools and you have you know nutritionists and you have training and everything is laid out in front of you to a degree as a rugby player. It's almost what comes on outside of life that you have to rely on to mature you because everything is set in stone everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, to a point, like there's obviously you do want to try and avoid that learned helplessness, but um, the reality is, you're right, like sometimes you just need to know the schedule, you need to know what you're doing to get the very best out of you on the rugby field. Um, but I totally agree, I think what you do away from the field is massive in your development as a person, but also as a, as a rugby player. Learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. Go on. Well, you know what it's, it's yeah. like, um, it's if you constantly get um, given a schedule and told where to be, what to wear, you almost, then you come out the other side of your career you, you, and then you don't have that, mm. it's like it's, you're setting people up to fail. So yeah, it's yeah. about trying to make sure that the environments, although they have to deliver you know, in terms of a slick system, it, it's not all just spoon-fed. Yeah. You know, make the players yeah. part of the conversation, make them part of organising it and, and you know, what they want to do, little committees here and there, so that it's actually player-driven not just staff driven. I think as young players coming through, 
um, you know, you probably go from the schooling system and being able to be the big fish in a small pond. And that's the kind of um, situation that you've been in for, you know, for a lot of these young kids coming through the system. Sorry, not to say that Moni's doing that, but sometimes it just takes that ability to be able to be in a system for three to four years, learning the preparation side, the outside, like Jip, you were alluding to, and being able to then go from there and then get the confidence to then understand what you are as a rugby player. Like Sean Stevenson talked about it probably last year around, it took him a while to understand around what it, what it was for him to be a rugby player and what makes him click to get the best out of him. And he's been here for five or six years before he actually figured that out. So sometimes players get it really, really quickly and are able to really adjust and been able to hit the hit the hit the ground running, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer to firstly maybe get an opportunity and then being able to play consistently and then be able to get your preparation or your outside rugby getting that right and all that marrying up together. And then you've probably seen how Monty's going at the moment and playing really, really consistent. That probably just shows around um, some of those years that we've that 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 touched on. Mm. I remember talking to TJ Padanato a couple of years ago about an injury that he had, and he talked about how he came out of the back of that injury and he had to think about what his identity was because he had seen himself as a rugby player and only in a rugby player. And when he was out for that long, he had to see himself as something else. And then when he got back to rugby, he felt like he was a much more rounded rugby player because of the ability to see the rest of the world and not just that thing that was the goal from when he was this high. Yeah, and I think as you get in sort of the latter parts of your career, when you have big injuries like that, it's when something as precious as living your dream gets taken away from you, you actually come back a better player because you're not, you don't take any day for granted, you don't take any training for granted, you don't take any game for granted, and it brings a, a, a better edge out of you as a player, but also I think it's massive in terms of that growth of, of you as an individual and making sure that you are um, more than just a rugby player because every individual is. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Brad Webber maybe because Brad has put up a give a little page. He's more than just a rugby player. He's trying to help out the people of Hawke's Bay, obviously a very dear province to his heart. Through the flooding and the cyclone that happened um, over the last couple of months, he set up this give a little page because he's worried that not enough is still going back and that maybe people will forget that there's still work needed and still help needed. So look at the bottom of the screen, the Give a Little page is there. All proceeds will go to the Hawke's Bay Foundation's Cyclone Relief Fund. So please, if you can, help them out, help the region, which is struggling so badly after the cyclone. So well done, Brad. Um, thank you very much for doing that and for, uh, for looking after the people in your region. So yes, moving on from that, Speaking of regions, the Blues, you know, there's going to be a lot of chat about Leon McDonald next year, about whether he is with Scott Robertson within the All Blacks setup. And there are now rumours going around about who's going to replace him. Those rumours include Dave Rennie. There was an article by Liam Napier where he said that there's been an approach. Is he a good fit? Well, I'm obviously part of his coaching staff, so, um, you know... <laughs> We've got that good connection there, yeah, heading back into the Blues. Um, look, I, I think he's a great fit anywhere. I, I think I, I've, I am yet to hear a player talk, um, you know, poorly about Dave Rennie. Um, and even a lot of those senior Wallaby leaders, um, you know, have have a lot of respect and they say a lot of, um, you know, I suppose glowing um, reports in terms of him as, as who he is as a person, but also the environments he creates. Um, probably the only one blemish with uh, Vunivalu, I think, around training um, schedules and so forth. But I don't think that falls at the um, feet of just the head coach. So, oh, look, it would be great. I'd be extremely excited um, as, a, as an ex-Blues player, but someone that really wants to see the Blues go well and uh, someone of his calibre going in there. He's, he knows how to win Super Rugby titles, which is what everyone's trying to do in that building. Obviously, Tom Coventry's a guy who's got a solid relationship to... 
as yeah, well. Yeah, well, and prior history. So, um, yeah, I, I think it would be it would be exciting, but with all these rumours, I mean, it's it's never guaranteed. It's um, but yeah. I, sometimes when there's smoke, there there is fire. Do you see the smoke, Brent? I do see the smoke, but I think I've also heard that he might be coming over to Japan possibly as well. So, um, yeah, there's obviously a lot of rumours. And when there's a guy like that that has that much um, experience, we've talked a lot around how, how, how great of a coach he is. And I think for him being at the Blues environment, I think... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Tom Coventry's there. Um, he's, he'd, be, he'd be great for the environment. But then in saying that as well, like you look at, I'm not too sure what Joe Smith's doing, Jip. I know that. Um, He's been he's been a bit of time with the Blues, and I think if Leon did go and Joe Smith didn't go into that All Blacks camp, then you'd have to think that he'd be a good um, candidate to be able to jump and slip in right there with the coaching staff that's there. But um, look, Dave Rennie's probably going to have a lot of opportunities, whether that's in Japan, different parts of Europe, or coming back home to New Zealand. I think anywhere that he does go, they're going to get a great candidate and a great coach uh, moving forward. Yeah, and I think those you'd be silly not to have conversations with those people. Um, but knowing Joe Schmidt, I suppose he's going to be all out focused on the preparations towards the World Cup and then would probably look at having those discussions post that. Whether that's soon enough for Blues management, I'm not too sure. So you, you definitely hope uh, he's been factored in somewhere, but I, I suppose he has sort of alluded to that maybe a, a role, a head role like that isn't isn't what he's after. Mm, he has been within the Blues camp in the last couple of years. He has a solid understanding. but Oh, massive and <coughs> a hell of a lot of respect from the playing group and, and other coaches. When he came back to New Zealand, he wasn't sounding like head coaching was necessarily something that was on his radar at all, was it? No, but then, you know, I don't know if the All Blacks role was either, so, you know, time does change things. Yep. Um, uh, so, yeah, another guy that would be worthy of a conversation, that's for sure. And what we do know is that Jip is going to want to be on that. <laughs> he tried to get on the Wallabies team. <laughs> the phone call didn't come. It didn't come. Uh, and it's still not coming, I don't think, but yeah. um, I'll still be a fan of Dave Rooney. And what role exactly are you after? <laughs> I'm not too sure. I don't think I'm a very good coach, so um, I'll put the cones out or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can be their official podcaster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's talk about another front rower. The Landers versus Minor Pacifica. Obviously, the Landers got up 45-17 in that game away from home. Ethan De Groot, that guy is in a battle, obviously, with Joe Moody, who had been out for injured for a long time for that loose head spot. It feels to me like he might have it. Oh, I think he finished the year as the incumbent. So, you know, normally in All Black sides of the past, is, you know, him and Tyrell Lomax and Sonny will probably get first rights, um, and then it's how long you can hold your form and, and not give... Um, 
you know, a, a teammate of crack in the jersey that you want to be in. But make no bones about it, Joe Moody's performing pretty well himself as an individual. Um, the stats were pretty similar, um, you know, around the park. So I think that'll be the one that probably differentiates how, how they go. And, um, you know, keeping that edge on both of them is, is a good thing for us because both of them play, I think Joe played 55 minutes on the weekend, Ethan 61 minutes. So that's the reality of, you know, test match Test match footy might even be less. So either way, I think both both of them are going really well, and um, you'll you'll see you'll see um, both of them get opportunity. But I think you'd say Ethan's probably will get first look at it, especially if he keeps going with the form he's got at the moment with the Highlanders. For a long time, Joe had a good stranglehold in that jersey, and probably just had a, has had a few injuries here and there, and not been able to you know have a longevity of four or five years without injuries. But I think just knowing him personally, I think it's probably a little fire underneath him, knowing that um, you know Ethan DeGroote and the the, the, the propping, uh, how the props doing with Tyra Lomax and Fletcher Newell going well um, at the end of the year was really probably motivating for him and not being able to be a part of that. And so the good thing about Joe that I've seen is he actually evolved his game a little bit. We know how good he is around the scrummaging and the line-out work, but I think his little touches that he has with his ball carrying and even his efficiency at the breakdown has got a lot better. And um, you even see, I've even seen a few defensive turnovers, which um, we always joke about him not being able to get turnovers, but he's shown a bit of lean growth in that area. So... Sometimes, you know, you, need, you see someone in New Jersey and it adds a bit of fire to it. And you've definitely seen that with Ethan DeGroote and how he's played. And I agree with Jip. You'd have to think that Ethan would get the um, the first lick and then Joe will get his opportunity. And then from there, you just go with the foreman who's playing more consistently. will get that starting role at the World Cup. He's probably struggles to, to, to stay injury-free. But um, fingers crossed for the All Blacks and the Crusaders, especially the Crusaders, actually, with the injuries that they have. Um, can't really afford to have any more going down with George Bauer possibly injured as well. That's for sure. Let's touch on that, Bryn, because I'm really interested in that. When you look at the injury toll and you look at the young guys coming into this Crusaders team and the fact that they've, they've got another win, what is it yep. that prepares these young guys to come into this Crusaders outfit and, and provide what is needed straight away? How does this particular franchise prepare players to come essentially straight out of NPC and into performing like a Super Rugby player? Yeah, well, I think the academy system, they do a really good, really good job down there. Now, Webby runs that, he's been running that for the last decade. And I think the percentage of being able to have professional rugby players through that academy system is around 80%. You know, that's a pretty uh, phenomenal uh, percentage when it's coming to professional rugby in New Zealand. But I think what they do really well is that um, whether you've just finished uh, just finished school, they'll bring you down there um, and then they'll get you in the academy system, which is pretty much a blueprint of what it is to be a, a super rugby player. And I'm not too sure what other uh, academies are, are like around the country, but I know they do it really well down there that they're integrated into the super rugby pretty early on and the minor team cup systems, whether that be with the coaches, um, players coming into super rugby environments for weeks within the year to be able to, I guess, ingrain to them what it is to be a professional rugby player and playing for the Crusades. And so when they finally do get in there, even when they are young and they haven't played, You've got a pretty good idea around what your week structure is going to look like, what's going to be um, acceptable around what you're needed as a player, and then when they do get come in, when they do come in, um, they've had about you'd have to say 12 to 24 months being in the being in the environment, learning from players, doing all the preparation, everything you need to be to be a super rugby player. So when they do finally play, look at a guy like Jamie Hanna, who's been in the environment for the last two years when I was there through the academy system. It's seamless for them because they're doing the same structures, they're doing the same um, terminology, the same messaging that's coming from the academy system. So they do it really well down there. And like you said, Ross, um, they just seem to go in there and it doesn't seem like it's too much of a, an occasion because they just get prepped really well from a young age as soon as they finish school. And then I guess the coaching and the leadership and even the players as well, it's a pretty driven group to help them out to then succeed when they are on the field.
And do they pick players who they know will fit into the system, or do they pick players and train them to fit into the system? Oh, I think they have a pretty good idea, like, I guess, as their, um, how, how do you say it? their ideal crusader player where it comes to their virtues and what they're looking for. So, you know, some regions, they have they have a different criteria what they look for, but they do have a certain criteria that they do look for um, to be able to then be selected. Now, look, you do probably do, you might get a little bit of a raw person that is a little bit raw and you might be able to then bring him bring him in to then try and build him into the, the culture and change his ways. But very rarely does that happen. They've got a pretty good idea around the player that they want. And then you might bring up three or four that are a little bit left field and then be able to try and mould them in and hoping that they can um, they can mould them into the players then succeed at Super Rugby and Modern Team Cup level. What things in particular? What are the pillars? Oh, I think it's just like, well, it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, hard work is, is pretty important down there. Um, and then obviously um, being selfless and then ability to compete as well. And I think when you've got those kind of um, those pillars, and there are a few more, uh, but I guess those are the, the big ones. And then probably just lastly, having a good character. You've got to be a good bugger. I think um, they do very well in being able to select guys that have great character and great IQ and I guess um, that gives you the best start to be able to I guess train really well for an academy for a long period of time uh, because sometimes it does it doesn't just take you know six months it might take two years of resilience of being able to not get opportunities but when you've got great character and those kind of pillars um, good things tend to come to have good things tend to happen after that. Is that what you see from a distance? We talk about the Crusaders winning games from where they shouldn't and it's all just through grit, determination and, and I think we all know that if you get that in a group um, but I think probably the environment doesn't accept not doing that and you'll be found out very quickly um, so they constantly have a really good, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, you know, sort of conveyor belt of talent slipping in with the same sort of um, characteristics and understanding um, that they've seen from the leaders gone before and they know that they don't want to let that down um, for, for them leading the next generation and so forth. Before yep. we let Bryn go, because he's got to head off to training, let's just do the tipping before we let Bryn go and then we can jump onto some of the other games and some of the other questions that we've had come through from the people. Crusaders versus Moana Pacifica, Bryn. It's going to be a tough one for the old Moana Pacifica, so yeah, Crusaders, 13+. plus. Yeah, look, I think the Crusaders, but again, statistically, with ball in hand, Moana Pacifica are showing a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, excitement. Um, and it's, the defence, they tackled at 90%. So even though the Highlanders scored all that, those points, it's what they need to sort out is when attacking sides get in behind their defensive line, and, you know, we saw the offload game from the Highlanders or the pop-up, you know, not having to clean the racks, they just can't, they can't survive from that because they can't get set and they can't um, get off their line. So they need to make sure they're probably getting two in the tackle, trying to wrap that ball up, slow that breakdown down on defence because they're making their tackles, they're just not doing it together. Um, but you know, I think going down there will be a, a step too far. But you know, I'm, I just like to put it out there because it's easy to just go, oh, they're struggling. But the, you know, statistically, when you look at them, they're not. Um, it's just they're taking such big hits late in the game. Cool. Reds, Brumbies. Brumbies. Brumbies? Brumbies. Brumbies, not Reds. Okay. Uh, Highlanders, Canes, Bryn? Oh, I'll go the Canes, but man, the Highlanders honestly have got a lot better the last three weeks, and you'll probably touch on, on a little bit more, but the execution around their 22-metre zone um, and their high face count and patience has been a real improvement, but I'll go the Hurricanes, but the Highlanders have shown a lot of improvement. Yeah, totally agree, but I just think the Canes are they're, they're too strong. Okay. Rebels versus the Blues. Blues away from home. Blues. Blues. You head off to training. We don't want to get you in trouble with the coach. 
Thanks, boys. Arigatou gozaimasu. Okay, see you soon. I thought the match of the round in a lot of ways was the Brumbies' task. Oh, yeah. That was a great game. It was a great watch. The Brumbies are second. The Tars are 11th. But really, there wasn't much in between them. And the Tars copped three cards. Yeah, and it, and it was that's probably the, the space where, you know, they'll look back and, you know, they did actually score a try when there were the two cards. But I think it just sucked too much out of the tank. And, and you could just see the Brumbies were coming home strong. But you'd have to like, like from an attacking... If you just look at it from an attacking point of view, what the Waratahs showed just from strike attack, um, their ability to keep the ball alive from deep, um, you know, it should excite them and should, you know, they, they should have won that game. Mm. Like, there's no doubt about it, especially even when they got ahead 36 35. Um, if, if Donaldson doesn't kick that out on the full, the Brumbies don't get that chance to enter the, into the 22 and score that, that match winner. So, um, oh, I think there's a lot to like in it. It's probably the performance we've expected from the Tars from, from the get-go. Mm, but they still didn't get the win, and now they're in a really tough bind at an 11th place. Yeah. It's they a big hole to dig yourself out of. It is, but that performance away from home against you know, the top Aussie side has got to give them confidence to go on a little bit of a run here. Um, and, you know, we look at the Hollands, for example. They were right down the bottom early doors and they're fighting their way back into six at the moment. So uh, I think, again, with eight teams going to the final, there's still a chance. Mm. The Hurricanes against the Force. Now, the Hurricanes never looked like they were going to lose, but, boy, they can be a little bit sharper. Yeah, I, I think, like, it's just been their Achilles heel, their willingness to attack. Like, they nearly ran for 700 run metres. Um, you know, so they, they were they were certainly out to attack. That's the game plan they wanted to go with, and it, and it worked really well, um, especially in the first 30 minutes. But again, 18 turnovers, um, you know, in terms of handling errors, um, is just probably too high uh, for when you're playing sides like the Crusaders, the Blues, or the Chiefs. Um, so I think that'll be their one focus. Because man, when they string it together, and a, and a guy that I do want to single out because he hasn't had a hell of a lot of opportunity as Duplessis Karifi. 14 carries, 14 tackles, four breakdown turnovers. He was everywhere. Um, so he put a, he put his hand up, you know, he, he hasn't been, you know, I think Devin Flanders has played there, you know, obviously Artie's been in, in there or thereabouts, you'll see. So that loose forward mix is really hard to break into, but he had some sort of performance. So um, it, it was good to see him after such a strong campaign with uh, Wellington as, as the skipper winning the shield and, and the title, it was, it was good to see him go well. But I think Jason Holland will be looking at their attacking structures and maybe just making sure they don't chance their arm too much. Um, and it's a, it, you know, it's a crucial um, offload here or there that leads to an error that doesn't allow them to score points. They've got a week off with the bye, like the Chiefs have a week off with the bye. What will they be looking to do during that week? I suppose the players go away, but do the coaches continue to look into what needs to be done? Well, no, I think you've got to take those mental windows yeah. to, to you know, really take four or five days away and, and come back fresh with an edge because these aren't system things. It's just, it's just execution because they have an all-out attack mindset. Um, so you're going to probably have a higher turnover rate than normal, um, but a couple of times it has cost them um, and, and it, it's allowed sides to come back into the game um, late in the piece. They haven't lost games, so it's not um, the bill. I just think when it comes to the latter part, they, they'd probably want that around 10 to 12 because you've got to understand the way they play, they will have a few. 
but when it gets to the 1820, we've seen um, sort of impact in the latter parts mm. of the game uh, when they're fatiguing. Mm. It's a light weekend. Four games. Yeah. Four yeah. games. I mean, we're coming off watching all of the Six Nations, all of Opiki, yeah. and then six games of Super Rugby each weekend. What are you going to do with yourself? Oh, the Masters is on. Oh, well, that's true. Ryan Fox is on. Yeah. yeah. Can't miss the Masters. Masters weekend on Easter weekend too, so you, you actually... Uh, get to see it all four days, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, if New Zealand watch it on Sky, Ryan Fox, of course, we've got coverage, but we'll be getting content from Ryan Fox every day coming into our social servers and filling up our stations, so keep an eye out. You know, Ryan is due for something big. He's a good bugger, and he's a good player. Well, if you saw anything, his, his par f he played a par four the other day at a tournament into the breeze and <laughs> landed on the green, and it, it, he had to go over the water. It was a very ambitious shot, and... I mean, I say, pretty, pretty impressive. So I'm excited to, to see him rip into it this just, weekend. He rips it like John Daly. Like, you oh, can see his man. whole body just go. It's, um, it's amazing. It's, it's a thing I wish I could do. Yeah. I'm absolutely terrible for tea. So yeah. scramble it is. Totally. Welcome to the Aotearoa Golf Podcast. <laughs> We'll be bringing you this kind of information. Brought to you by Taylor Maid. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if you turned up <laughs> on the Taylor other side. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, we're always asking you for your feedback, and we've been getting plenty of it in the YouTube comments. Also, via email, we've been getting plenty of feedback for you. Um, sorry to a couple of you, they ended up in my spam and I missed it. So I dug into the spam this week and found some questions from you. So, one of those questions was from Gary Kingy. He said, why can't the three competitions, speaking about under-20s, Opiki and Pacific, be played on the same day, create a great spectacle where you watch all three games at the same time and allow us to see what's coming and allow people to, I suppose, become part of the club? Yep, um, great idea, but I suppose the logistics of it, you know, the under-20s programme, you've got to limit as much time. You know, they've obviously got lives outside of rugby. They're not professionals. Um, so, you know, if having that week aside and, and they know when it is and they can structure their lives around it, I think, is, is quite critical for them. And Because and, not every player that goes to that under-20s or makes the under-20s mm -hmm. is going to be a professional player, so they do need to be more probably focused in other areas. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've seen a number of double-headers with Opiki and um, Super Rugby Pacific, um, and I think we'd see, we will see more of that, you know, when, I suppose, both sides of the Tasman... Um, come together in a competition similar to Super Rugby Pacific. So I think it'll, it'll be become more and more prevalent as more games become available. I suppose logistically the hard part as far as OPIC is concerned is that basically there aren't as many teams. No. And, and that's one thing they'd have to overcome to allow this to be a week-in, week-out tournament like that. 100%. And, you know, if you want to have double headers, you need a Brumby side, you need a Tars side um, with the Blues and, and so forth. So... Um, it's not to say it's not doable in time, but as there's more depth of players, you can get more teams and um, hopefully in the future. And, and maybe under-20s does become a little bit more professional and allows them to do that. Because I think, you know, the league do it really well. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they play, I think, four games, the under-20s and the, the feeder side and then um, the W and then the, the main game as well. Um, so I think, you know, it, it, there are examples of it mm. being done well, but it's a little bit more professional um, in terms of the, the remuneration those players get at that under-20 level. Yeah, and money is a huge factor in this. You know, maybe the Silver Lake money needs to be thrown at some <laughs> stuff like this. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even going to reopen that can. <laughs> <laughs> Silver Lake money's got to go somewhere. This could be an opportunity. Now, the other question that we had that was actually made me laugh um, 
from TCR in our YouTube comments. Can I get some praise for a Cam Royguard from the boys? Now, TCR, thank you for asking that question. Jip, you love to praise Cam Royguard. Oh, the floor is yours. I, I do not know how you have not picked up <laughs> I am captain of this man's fan club. Um, what can I say? He's got great vision. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's got the ability to play at, play at pace. He's got the ability to be physical sort of similar to Flau Whakatawa um, and the way he's performing at the moment, the relationship he's got with Brett Cameron, um, second to none, but it's, it's his energy um, and his desire to want to play the big play uh, that I really like and nine times out of ten it comes off, uh, which makes it even more infectious. But he changes the game, especially at NPC level you've seen it and I, I think at times with the Hurricanes he's going to do it more and more. But you watch when his team's under pressure, he'll look to go for a quick tap and catch the opposition off guard or, you know, do a quick throw in or, you know, sort of work um, a little bit harder to get in the position to, you know, make a big impact on a game and he does it time and time again. Um, so it's extremely exciting to see him doing that now at the, the higher level and I, th I think we all know that he will wear black one day, whether it's this year or next, um, you know, not sure. Well, we saw Falau Whakatawa, you know, looking good. Yeah, good. Yeah, and I would presume that if he was going to knock someone out of All Black Reckoning, it would have to be Falau Whakatawa. Yeah, well, I think, I suppose it's even his teammate TJ Pitanara as well. Oh. Um, so, you know, that, in terms of that balance of the halfbacks, I think they will go for... You know, you've got your Finlays, your Aarons and your Brads and how do they fit into two or they just go, that's what we're going for or you want those, those two that play that game they like to see and then having one with that sort of physical presence and, and be ability to do something different. Mm -hmm. Halfbacks is an interesting talking point of this new Wallabies camp. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty brutal, Eddie. Yeah. I think he, he's been pretty straight up, though. Like, if the form's not there, he's not going to pick you, and he, he wants to pick on form. But also, this is just a camp, so sometimes, um, you know, some players just need a little um, bit of that, you know, sort of anxiety or something that um, they may be falling out of the reckoning to bring the very best out of them. Um, and, and I think it's very hard to play well at halfback if your pack's not dominating. Mm. Um, and I think if you use the Brumbies as an example, both their halfbacks have gotten um, off the back of their pack dominating physically. Uh, I think the Warrior Waratahs will get there, um, as will, I think it was the first, probably, even though they didn't get the points, Queensland Red side was probably the best they've been um, in a long time against the Crusaders in terms of that first 30 minutes. So uh, there's still time, um, but it will probably be the making of them, and, and Eddie will learn a lot about the individuals. Mm. Eddie being Eddie, you wonder whether there's a chance he's just sending a message to Tade McDermott and Jake Gordon. Like, is he just saying to them, hey guys, we know you're good, I'm not going to let you in here, this is my message to you, lift your game. Well, that's the only message it can be, is they're not at the levels he wants. I think it's a little hard on Jake, like, you know, Tate probably a little bit more so hasn't, hasn't had it the vintage year that we're used to seeing him, but you know he's still um, pretty young, so he'll, he'll come out the other side of this. But man, Jake Gordon does some pretty uh, big plays to keep the Waratahs in games. You know, his little intercepts, his little um, you know extra efforts defensively. So maybe that's just because I like that sort of stuff that you know I warm to him. But um, you know, he's another one that's also a really good leader. Uh, so I, knowing 
having played him and knowing the, the guy as an individual, he, he's not going to shy away from the similar to like, like a Nick Fibbs, you know, mm. another New South Welshman. Um, they'll fight. Uh, they'll certainly fight. Yeah, sometimes he picks up that team on his back. I know. Yeah, more often than not. Yeah. Um, and he always does it, you know, with not a smile on his face, but, you know, he holds his head high and he, and he, and he looks at the, the, I suppose, the positives rather than getting down on the negatives. The other aspect of the playmaking over there is Noah Lolasio is not yeah. in that squad. You know, he's been in and out. They haven't shown a lot of faith. He's been inconsistent and Carter Gordon is there. Is this the death knell maybe for, for his World Cup chances? Um, no, I don't think so because I think the, the Brumbies will run deep. Mm. Um, so you'll get to see him in those pressure situations and you win a Super Rugby title, it, it will be hard to ignore you. Quade Cooper is someone that you know, I think is attending the camp um, via Zoom or whatever in a couple of sessions, so he's still in the mix. Donaldson, um, by the sounds, you know, Eddie's taken a liking to him from the Northern Tour, so when he was obviously the English coach. Um, so he's seen something there he likes. Um, and then you know, the young, young fella Connors from the Rebels is just playing really well. Um, as an individual, so Eddie's probably trying to stick to his words and say, I'm going to reward for him. Mm. Now, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, obviously, before the World Cup, but when you look at this squad, is this a squad that could win the Rugby Championship, the Shorten Rugby Championship? Is it a squad that looks like it's got what it takes to go deep into this World Cup? I think it's a squad that at the current moment is trying to light, fire, light, light flames in people, some with rewarding them with their first time at a camp and others just a little bop on the nose to say, you know, make sure you're, you're being sharp. So I think it's going, to, it's going to give Eddie a deeper squad and a harder job to pick that World Cup squad because there'll be a lot of guys that, um, you know, haven't got comfortable. I don't think he makes environments. I think he's a, he, he's a great coach in terms of the way he's adapted, and I'm not saying, you know, because sometimes he gets a bit of a hard time for, you know, sort of he can only last a, a certain amount of time in teams. But he does have the ability to make you, you sort of feel uncomfortable as a player, which I think is a good place to be. You never want you. I think the moment, or if we use golf for an example, the moment you think you've nailed golf <laughs> is the moment that it'll, <laughs> that the it'll, it'll, yeah. it'll pull you back yeah. uh, down to earth. So it's a little bit similar to that. I think he creates that edge in his environments that you always have to be on, always performing. Uh, it always takes you back to Steve Hansen, you know. You only get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it does work. It is, it is proven to bring the best out of individuals. Yeah, so did I get an answer from that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but when I look at it at the moment, I don't think so because there's so many unproven test players. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm keeping my powder dry because there's, there are guys playing well in Super Rugby, and what I'm saying is he's going to bring a bigger squad of options to himself too. And then you've got to back him as a coach. He does mm. have success. He yeah. does have success. But looking at that and some of the form of the players, you know, probably not at this stage. Yeah. Well, we did see Checker in a year take a team to a World Cup final, so oh, it's not unprecedented. No, and I, and I don't think my judgment's not coming on the fact that Eddie's come in late. Um, it's just more he's trying to get his feel on the side and, and making sure that his messages are being heard loud and clear. I'm sure they are. <laughs>
<laughs> there is nothing, absolutely nothing quiet about Eddie Jones. No. Well, thank you very much once again for joining us on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. We'll catch you again next week. We've got plenty to watch this weekend, if not as much as usual. Crusaders versus Minor Pacifica, Reds v Brumbies, Highlanders v Canes, Rebels v Blues. Catch all of that action on Sky Sport. You can catch all of the analysis on Sky and also on Rugby Pass if you want to get a hold of us. This is our email address, Pod at sky.co.nz. Also, if you want to come into the Tipping League, go to Super Rugby Tipping, go to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod League, join us and see if you can knock us off our purchase. My purchase very low. <laughs> I took a hit this week. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Chip, once again. We'll see you all next week with James Parsons, Bryn Hall and Ross Carl. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcaster og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.